If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn me to 1 John, 1 John chapter 3. Now, how many of you are loving this cold weather? Uh, how many of you are saying this is awesome? Anybody like longing for the snow? Anybody thinking, I've seen something like, no way. I mean, come on, a little bit maybe. Um, our daughter and son-in-law are up in Brevard, North Carolina, getting videos of the beautiful beauty of the snow falling. And then there's my own sister. I have a sister who lives in Tallahassee with her family, and she redeemed some frequent flyer tickets, and she bought her and her husband uh, two tickets to go to New York City this last weekend. And so they're going up there. They're, they uh, spent the weekend with their daughter that lives in Brooklyn, you know, and so, and you know, it's kind of funny because they love snow. They both grew up in upstate New York, and they wanted snow. Are they getting snow or whatever? And so, you know, getting pictures, and then you start realizing, uh-oh, there's like no food in the apartment. Everything is closed. I'm like, oh, you guys are rookies, you know? When the snow starts flying, the first thing you do is you stock up, right? You get all the good stuff. So um, anybody here never seen snow? Anybody? A couple of y'all. All right. Fantastic. Well, it is absolutely beautiful. But there's a reason why we live in Florida. Amen? There's a reason why we are here. So anyway, uh, we, are, we are continuing our series on worth. And we're looking to the reality that we find our worth not so much in what we do, but we find our worth so much in who God is and, and what he has done for us. And this morning, we're going to talk about family worth. We're going to talk about the fact that we have this great worth in God's eyes and this great reality because the God of the universe calls us his own. The God who, through his son, has made us his own. And he, he calls us family. I think it's interesting that the week I'm going to preach on family, that none of mine are here, right? So I don't know what that says about my family and me. My wife is uh, with many of y'all's wives and uh, up at our um, women's retreat. And may God bless them and bring them home safely. I got kids spread out over the state right now. And so I'm going to talk about family outside their earshot. So it might get a little bit interesting. But most importantly, we're going to talk about God's family. Let me ask you a question. Family is family, right? I mean, family is family. There's nothing quite like family dynamics. Let me start with a question. How are your family dynamics? I know that for many of you, immediately I mentioned family. Some of you are like, oh, man, it's so great. I love my in-laws or, or things are fantastic. Uh, but for many of us, when you talk about family dynamics, ooh, you know, raising kids or I can't seem to have a kid or wayward kids, or, or maybe your own personal family. When you think back to your family, for, for some of us, it's like, man, I'm so excited about how I grew up. And for others, for many, it's, man, there's a lot of pain there. You see, the reality is this. All of us have family dynamics. And before I begin, I got to bring that up because I'm going to talk about God's family dynamics. And for some of you, you, you could easily lean into this and say, oh, fantastic. I, I love the thought of God as father because, man, my relationship with my father was wonderful. And some of you may have a really hard time saying, man, God as father is hard. Because I had an earthly relationship with a father that is hard. You see, family dynamics affects and shapes our lives, does it not? None of us are exempt all of us are a byproduct of dynamics one way or another. 
As a matter of fact, it's so important is that when I marry a couple, when I officiate their wedding and I, I meet with them beforehand to do some premarital counseling and, and most of the counseling actually is done outside of my office, but I won't marry anybody until we sit down and kind of make sure I know where they are with their faith, I know where they are with the Lord and what does this mean. But we always talk about the big three. As a matter of fact, the man who officiated my wedding 28 years ago is sitting in the room and he, he talked about the big three with me uh, and he was spot on and there's not one person who I've ever married that I didn't talk about the big three with. And the big three in all, all of our marriages, if you're married, uh, is these three. It's going to be money, it's going to be sex, and it's going to be family. Family dynamics, positive, negative and how they affect all things of our lives. Well, there's family dynamics with God too. He is our heavenly father. For those of us, by God's grace, who have embraced Jesus, we are a part of his family. And he wants that family dynamic to shape you. He wants that family dynamic to to empower you. He wants you to see who you are through his family that would give you worth. And the reality is this, if, if you and I are a part of God's family, if it is true, it should affect everything we do. It should affect everything we do and, and how we see our, ourselves. Because God has given us this great worth of being a part of his family. And that's what we've been studying. We've been studying worth, and we realize we find it all in God. It wasn't enough for God. It wasn't enough for his love just to make us in his image. But the Bible tells us is that's what he did. He made us in his image. He made male and female in his reflection. Of all the things that God created and of all the things that point to who he is, nothing does it like you and me. I mean, he gave us something of great worth because he gave us a part of himself, a reflection of himself, an image of himself. When God sees you, he sees himself. And because of that reality, because he's of infinite worth, We have infinite worth reflected in us because we're made in his image. But God did more than just make us in his image. God made us for himself. And that we will never find our worth, we'll never understand who we really are and and what we really mean to God and even our very own worth until we find our relationship with our God because he made us for himself. But it wasn't enough for God. It wasn't enough for God just to make you in his image. God did more. You see, according to the story of the Bible and the reality of our lives is that although God made us for himself, we rebelled and we went our own way. We basically said to God, I want to find my worth as my own man or woman. I want to find my own identity, my own worth apart from you. And and the Bible calls that a fall. It calls us how sin entered the story. And then we rebelled from God. You know, this God of the Bible, the God who is, let me tell you, he's an amazing lover of sinners. He's an amazing God. that he, he doesn't give up on his people. He doesn't give up on his family. I mean, he keeps pursuing them. And we looked at last week that, that it wasn't enough that God made us his image, that he would bring us back to himself, that he would purchase us when we were lost in sin by the shedding of his own son's blood. Unbelievably, what is your worth in God's eyes? Your worth in God's eyes is the shedding of God's blood that God would become one of us to come rescue us and he would die for us so we could live knowing and loving him. But do you know that it wasn't enough? 
It wasn't enough for God to make you in his image. It wasn't enough for God to send his son to come and rescue you and, and to die on the cross for you and purchase you with his blood. It wasn't enough for him to cleanse you. It wasn't enough for him to robe you in his righteousness. Do you know that God loves us so much? He says, I'm going to do more. I'm going to make you a part of the family. I'm going to bring you as near and dear as you can be. I'm going to make you my own, my own beloved family. I'm going to lavish love upon you, the Bible describes it. A love that God has for us, that we should be called the children of God. And because of what Jesus has done for us and the Holy Spirit inside us, that's what we are. God says, I'm going to make you my own family. I'm going to make sure that you know family dynamics begin and end with me. We're going to look at three things. The worth of a family name. The worth of a family name that God would share with us. The second thing is this. The worth of a family inheritance. The inheritance of God. And lastly, the worth of a family resemblance. So let's turn to one of the most glorious, beautiful passages of all Holy Scripture in 1 John 3. It's toward the back. It's not the Gospel of John. We're looking at the Epistle of John in 1 John 3. If you don't have your Bibles, this text is listed for you in the bulletin. It will also be on the screen. You may want to keep that bulletin handy to be some other verses that I will be referencing. But let's remember that this is, this is God's story from Genesis to Revelation, one story that tells us who God is and how we desperately need him, how we can find life with him and become a part of the family. This is not a story that's just to entertain us. This is a story that a father gives to a son and a daughter to educate us and transform us, to remind us and whisper in our ears, you're mine, and you are loved. And let me tell you what it means to be a part of the family. So listen in as God the Father lavishes again on us love. See what kind of love, 3-1, the Father has lavished upon us or the Father has given to us. See what he has done, that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, it is so glorious and so wonderful to talk about the love that you've lavished on sinners like us. You have demonstrated love so clearly. You have given us this love. You've given us your Son, given us the Holy Spirit, so that we can know and taste and experience and be transformed by the love of God. That we could actually be pulled in those who by nature are far from you, by nature children of wrath, we could become children of God. God, what is clear is that we need to hear about your love, the love of a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So God, be pleased to speak. Speak through a broken sinner like me. Oh God, would you give us ears to hear your loving voice? Would you give us minds to understand your, your loving word and, and your, your character? Would you give us hearts to embrace 
that love and the reality of who you are, would you give us hearts that are truly shaped by the fact that we in Christ Jesus are your dearly loved children. Give us a family heart that loves you back. And God, would you be with us, your people, in such a powerful and transparent way that you would empower our feet to walk in a manner worthy of the family name, the name of God that you share with us, that you make us. And God, if you don't empower us and, and you don't enable us, we're, we're going to just disgrace the family. But God, thank you for loving us and empowering us. And do so again this morning through the preaching of your word. The things that I say are wrong or merely my opinion. May those things fall away and be forgotten quickly. But the things that are said that are true and contain this good news of, of the Father's lavish love in Christ Jesus, would you use those things to make us more like family, like your family? We pray in Christ's name, amen. If you wanna follow along with me in your bulletin, you'll find an outline there that we'll go through this morning. And the first thing we're going to see is uh, the worth of a family name. The worth of a family name. One of the greatest joys that I've had of raising children is being a part of their life and being a part of their activities and even being a part of their sports and, and coaching my kids. It's been one of my greatest joys of coaching my daughters and coaching my sons that in this very gym, I've, I've coached my daughter's basketball. And I've been a part of their volleyball and, and a part of their life. And, and in being a part of my son's life, one of the greatest joys I had was being their little league coach. Can I tell you the truth? I love coaching little league. For many different reasons, I love being a part of Maitland Little League. Because one of the reasons is I love my community. And I love the fact that they could see me. Hey, isn't that guy a pastor? I mean, isn't that guy connected to a place called Orangewood? And I love getting to know uh, the community. And I, I got to tell you, when it comes to baseball in Maitland, people take that pretty darn seriously, you know. I mean, this is a serious job being a Little League coach. And so, and one of the biggest things you got to do as a, as a coach is you got to draft a team. And the question is, what are you going to use to help you make sure you draft the right kids? Are, are, are you going to rely on the scouting report? Are you going to rely on what you've heard from the kids before? Are you just going to base it on a tryout that you see right there? Or are you going to go into some kind of dynamics and, and look at the speed and the arm strength? I mean, what are you going to use to draft a kid? It's very important. For me, it's like family names. Do I know these people? Are they connected to Orangewood? Do they have an interesting name? I mean, I tell you what, I, I've drafted, I mean, I, I drafted these two boys one time, and I'm not kidding you, I drafted, one boy's name was Hussein Hussein, and his brother was Omar Hussein. And so with one word, Hussein, I got two of them. I mean, I just got them complete. It, it was incredible. Uh, but I loved drafting them, loved getting my team. And once you get the team together, you really got to work on fundamentals, especially in Little League. It's really important work on fundamentals, which we did. So the first thing we did, we worked on was, Nicknames, right? I mean, you got to work on nicknames. You know, James Smoothie Hagen, Meredith Sweetwater Taffy, a kid named Travis Cotton Mather. He had no idea who Cotton Mather was and why I was calling him Cotton, but hey, it stuck. I like the nickname, you know. Um, PT, Primetime Talby. And, and the first thing we did was work on all the names, and it was a lot of fun. 
I remember one kid I drafted. As, as a matter of fact, that honestly, I didn't even draft him. It, it was kind of interesting how it worked out. He was a little older. He didn't get picked up by a, a, a team that was a little higher up. And, and so he was kind of left, and they came to me, probably pastor, you know, and said, hey, we got a boy who's not drafted. Uh, would you take him? I'm like, of course. Sight unseen, bring him on. I've got him. His name's Corey. It's, oh, man, Corey, the big story. I got Corey the big story, absolutely. Saw Corey the big story, a great kid. I, I actually hear now he's in divinity school. Maybe he's through, he went to Duke Divinity School. But Corey, Corey had the biggest set of glasses I've ever seen. Um, um, great kid, uh, probably baseball wasn't a real natural endeavor for him. And I'll never forget the first time I met him, he was trying to open up a Gatorade jar. Oh, oh coach, can you open up this Gatorade? I was like, absolutely, Corey. Corey the big story. Well, our team, although we didn't necessarily do use all the analytics for drafting, uh, we, we, uh, we actually started winning and winning. And, and unlike some of these coaches that make sure their kids only play one position and, you know, make sure you don't ever let them pitch, we let anybody who wants to try it, try it, let's try it. But when we put Corey in the field, you know, we were more concerned about his health than we were out, right? And, and so just, just try not to get hurt out there. You don't say that to a kid, but you're like, you know, put him in a position. You don't want to ever embarrass a kid. You don't want, to, you want to hurt. And we were in a pretty big game. It was an important game. And Corey was out in right field. And, and, and sure enough, bang, a ball is hit out to Corey. And you start praying, oh, Lord Jesus, don't let him hit him in the head. You know, I mean, please help that kid out there somehow. And I don't know how he did it. I mean, it was fantastic, but Corey got under the ball and his glove went up and it was angels in the outfield. It was, I don't know what it was, but the ball went in his glove, man. It was, it was fantastic. It was like, Corey, the big story. Well, shortly after the catch, we called it the catch. Um, <laughs> Corey came up to me and says, you know, hey, coach, I'd like a new nickname. Corey, man, this is a great name. Corey, the big story. Well, what, what, what would you like? I and mean, what's what do you want me to call you? And he looked up to me and says, "Sweet stuff." <laughs> I said, "Okay." I said, "Well, Corey, is this a is this a family name?" No, no one in my family calls me Sweet Stuff. All right, <laughs> Corey, is this like your friends call you Sweet Stuff? No, none of my friends call me Sweet Stuff. Corey, why do you want to be known as sweet stuff? I want to be known as sweet stuff. All right, Corey, the big story, you're sweet stuff. And so, I don't know. He liked the name, something in the name, Corey Sweet Stuff. And he had a big story. But of all those kids I got to know and love, and I can tell you I loved them, the kids were never the issue. In Little League, the kids are never the issue. It's the darn parents. It's the crazy parents who think that they're playing in the World Series and their kids' identity is all wrapped up if they're going to be good or bad or indifferent. It's the parents who completely lose perspective and the coaches who often do as well. But of all the kids that I knew and had, I tell you, there were some great ones. There's only one kid on the team that ran on the field that wore my name. There's only one kid, and when I tell you, when I saw Jake's on the back of his jersey, I mean, oh my goodness, that one's mine. That one's coming home in my minivan. No matter what happens in the game, no matter if they're the hero or, or they strike out in the last inning, that's my boy. That's the one I love the most because that's the one who wears my name. You see, that love that I have for, for my family name is just a reflection of the love that God would lavish on us. A love that he would have on us that we should be called 
the children of God. I love that. You hear what it said in 1 John 3, 1? That God has lavished the love on us that we should be called the children of God. Now, if Scripture stopped there, if that was the end of the story, if that was the end of the, the verse, we would have reason to party that if the reality of God who knows you still loves you and that God wants to give you a title. You ready for this? God wants to call you, you, his child. Let that sink in. Let that, let that just change who you are. Let that warm your soul that the God, mighty God, holy God of the universe has lavished upon us that we should be called, given the title, child. But the verse doesn't stop there. It says more. I mean, it, it, it thunders. It says this, and that is what we are. He's basically saying, this is not a title that I give you like some kid on my team that I could pull aside and say, let me tell you, son, let me tell you what you need to do. And I could call a kid son that's not really my son, and it could be a nice term of endearment. In the wrong situation, it could be icky or weird. But the reality of God is, I'm not just going to call you this, I'm going to make you this. I'm going to make you this. Let's turn to a passage of Scripture. One of my favorite passages of Scripture of Galatians chapter 4. Galatians 4, 4 through 7. When I was in seminary and I had to turn in a, what we call a Greek exegesis paper. A paper in the Greek that really dissects the Greek of what does this mean. This is the passage of Scripture I picked. And this is always one of those forever love affairs I have with Scripture. And it says this in Galatians 4, 4. But when the fullness of time had come, it's like God's time is pregnant and, and the time of God's promises are going to be delivered. God sent forth his son. We know his name is Jesus. Born of a woman. We knew her name is Mary. Born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. Last week, we realized that he redeemed us by the shedding of his blood so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying the most tender, the most wonderful, Abba, Father. So we're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. God loves us enough to share his family name. God loves us enough to make that family name a reality, to send Jesus to come. I love the reality when you think of Philippians 2, we're reminded of the name of Jesus. Uh, God gave his son, Jesus, the name that's above every name. That the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. And that very name he shares with us. A dear friend of mine, and they, they, uh, a couple has two children. They have one child that they had naturally. They have one son that they adopted I love the story that he's told me of adopting his son that he just loves and cherishes. Is that when that baby was born and they went in the nursery at the hospital and when you see the children there and you see the names associated in big, bold uh, letters and capital letters, it was here, Bufa, B-U-F-A. Baby up for adoption was how that child was identified. And the joy of those parents to love that boy, the joy of that, those parents to adopt that boy, the joy of those parents to give that boy something so much better than Bufa, but to give them a family name, to bring them as close as they could bring 
and to say, you are my beloved adopted son. Let's not forget it. That God never wants you to live your life like one moment that there's a tag on you that says Bufo, baby up for adoption. No, 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 child of the king, beloved part of God's family. You know, the reality of this is, but the scripture is this, is that, that God loves us so much to bring us into part of his family that he wants us to, he wants us to wear Christ's jersey. The gospel story is that Christ would become our sin so that we could become his righteousness. So here, so every family member who lives our lives, it's like we're running onto the field of life wearing Christ's jersey. And when the father sees the son's name on us, he's delighted. And he smiles. He said, that's my family. You see, the worth of a family name. The second thing is the worth of a family inheritance. It wasn't enough for God to love you just to make you in his image. It wasn't enough for God to love you and shed his blood to cleanse you. It wasn't enough that he would just give you the family name. He would make you a part of the family. And it wasn't enough. He says, I also have to share with you the family inheritance. Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, uh, really in verse 17, but I'm going to pick up in verse 15. It tells us this, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry out in the most tender way, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And you got to get this. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If you know me, you know that I have an unrealistic love and a fascination with the Finger Lake region of upstate New York. You know that I'm going to talk about it. It's God's country. It's the most beautiful country in my mind. It's the, it's the place that's the best place in all of the earth. And why? Because that's my family heritage. And that's my family inheritance. There's a place somewhere. It's, it's not a fancy place. It's kind of an old, rickety, broken down place. But there's a place that's home. There's a place that I could go and put my feet in the water and I could feel and smell and taste like I'm home because there's a heritage, there's, a, there's an inheritance there that somehow has my name on it, a place of belonging, a place of owning. Don't you know those kind of places? And here's what God is saying is, listen, I want you to have this place of belonging and owning with me because unbelievably, unbelievably, God shares everything he can with us. We've read a couple passages of Scripture that tells us that he shares with us, the Father shares his Son, but he does more. The Father and Son shares the Holy Spirit. The Father and Son sends the Holy Spirit into our lives to give us faith, to give us a part of the family, to open our eyes to that reality so that we have this Holy Spirit. You ready for this? That we can now cry out, Abba, Father. Not Bufa, not babies up for adoption. But dad, dad, because this Holy Spirit inside of us testifies that we're his and he'll never let us go. He makes his family and he makes us heirs. Listen to it this way. All that Jesus deserves, all that Jesus deserves is the only begotten son. And all that Jesus deserves as the only obedient son, right? 
The only begotten son, the spotless lamb of God, the only obedient son, all that Jesus deserves because of that reality, right for this, he shares with you and me. He gives it to us. He says, you're gonna be a co-heir with me. I'm gonna make you a part of my family as your Lord and Savior. I love what it says in Ephesians 1, verses 3, specifically through 10. I'm not gonna to read it. Uh, let me encourage you to go there. It says basically this. Talk about the love of the Father. It says that God the Father has blessed us in Christ Jesus with all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms, verse three. Basically saying every, every spiritual blessing that, that Jesus has earned and has, and even in the heavenly realms, that he gives to us, all of them. I don't even know what that means. I don't fully know what it means, but I just know this, all the blessings of God become ours. It goes in verse four, because why? Before the foundation of the world, he chose us. He predestined us in Christ Jesus. He made us his own to be adopted sons. And everything that Jesus earns as the only obedient son and everything that Jesus owns rightfully as the only begotten son, he says, there's an inheritance for me to share with you. The riches of heaven are gonna be yours. The riches of relationship are gonna be yours. Our father provides for his kids. He loves his kids. And he says there's an inheritance for us. Lastly, the family worth of, uh, the, the worth of a family resemblance. God blessed me with one older sister and one older brother. My sister's seven years older. My brother is four years older. And over the years, I'm pleased to say I've grown closer to my brother. But if you saw my brother, I don't think there's much family resemblance. I'm a good five inches taller than my brother. And I have hair. And I like my flow. And my brother, cue ball. I mean, no hair. Um, and again, I don't think there's much family resemblance. I mean, some people can say, well, yeah, you know, I mean, I could see it through the eyes. I'm like, he's got blue eyes. I don't. Um, uh, but there hopefully is a bit of a family resemblance. I'm not quite sure. I got to tell you something a little bit painful about that. I got to tell you something that's a little bit something I don't want to have to admit. But I grew up and my brother didn't really like a family resemblance. He's a great guy. I love him. And don't hold it against him. But there's some pain there. There's some pain there because the reality is, is my brother did not like me to look like him. He didn't ever want my mother to dress us alike. A big cardinal sin in our family is if I came down wearing the same jersey he was wearing, I had to promptly go back to my room and find something else to wear because we couldn't wear the same stuff. I felt like he was a bit embarrassed. I felt like as an older brother, he was a little bit embarrassed of his younger brother. As a matter of fact, he didn't even like me rooting for the same team. He lobbied hard that the rest of the family were Yankee fans and that I was a Met fan. And as a matter of fact, I gave me a Met hat. You are this. Don't be that. It's hard sometimes having an older brother it's a little bit embarrassed of a family resemblance. But that's not Jesus. You see, in Hebrews 2, Jesus says that he is like us in every way. It's incredible. God becomes flesh and he suffered and he experienced life. He's like us in every way. Ready for this? Listen, listen to this. It says, he is not ashamed to call you brother. He is not ashamed to say you 
are the younger brother and he is the older brother. He's not ashamed of you to have his name. He's not ashamed for you to wear his jersey. He's not ashamed for you to look like him. As a matter of fact, that's his goal. I love what this passage says. It says that the world doesn't recognize us because it didn't recognize him. But it also tells us is that we don't know exactly what we're going to be, but, but we know this is, is when we see him, you ready for this? We will be like him. There's going to be a family resemblance is that when we see the resurrected Savior face to face, we as his children will have a resurrected body and we will be like him. And we can behold his glory and his likeness and he'll say, welcome home. And there'll be a family resemblance that the whole world could see. You see, that reality is coming. And because of that reality, we're right now his. We are told in scripture, be imitators of God. Why? As dearly loved children. We're to imitate him every day of our lives. Because we have this family worth, because we have this family name, there should be a family resemblance. We should become more and more like Jesus. Be imitators of Christ, Ephesians 5.1. Listen, be imitators of Christ as dearly loved children and live a life of love. That's the call. The world may not recognize Christ in us and the only ones who do are the ones that God gives the ability to see that reality. But that is our call. God will let the world see Jesus through us, but we got to imitate him. Let me ask you as we close a couple of questions. The first one is this. Who are you going to let name you? Who are you going to let label you? You may say, wait, wait, I'm already named. I already have a label. No, no, no. Who are you going to give the power and the authority to say who you are? Who are you going to give the power to say whose you are? Are you going to look at, listen to that internal voice? Are you going to look at your business card or your position? Or are you going to give the rightful authority to God himself to name you, to define you, to let the reality is for him to say, I've lavished the love upon you that you are mine and you are loved. God does not want you to live your life for one nanosecond wondering if you are Bufa, baby up for adoption. He wants you to live your life knowing that you are a child of the king, a beloved child of God, and he loves you. Next question. What would your life look like if you believed this was real? I believe it is, but what would your life look like if you really believe that God is the one who names you and gives you your identity? What would it look like if you realized that your worth is completely found in him? You don't have to wake up tomorrow to God earn that name. You don't have to wake up tomorrow to find your place in the world. You don't have to to wonder if you're worthy. And no matter what your family dynamics are, no matter if you have great stuff or junk in there, that his family dynamic will shape the reality of who you are. What would your life look like? knowing that he'll never be ashamed of you and he loves you. And you don't have to earn the name that Jesus has secured it for us. Your worth is secure, my brothers and sisters. Your worth is secure. God made us in his image. God purchased us with his blood. And God made us a part of his family. Let us pray.
And Father God, thank you for a lavish love upon us that we should be called the children of God. And in Christ Jesus, that is what we are. And sure, there are some family dynamics there, God. And we, like all families, we're dysfunctional. We are prone to wander. We, we fight amongst each other. And yet, you keep declaring, but I love you. The work of my son was sufficient for you. And that God, that you've not only given us this privilege, but you're making us more like your son, our big brother, who's not ashamed to call us brothers. A big brother named Jesus who lets us wear his jersey so that we could live our lives knowing that every time we take the field in life, the father smiles. Father, would you set us free? free from trying to earn our name, free from wondering if our name is worthy in other people's eyes, free from trying to wonder if we're enough and good enough. Would you set us free to know that we're yours? Could you help us to let that be enough to really make us alive? And God, would you use us in a way that just makes us fruitful for the family? And we thank you that that the world didn't recognize you, Jesus, they're not going to recognize us in you unless, well, God, you give them the eyes to see. And all you're calling us to be is yours, those in love with you, following hard after Jesus. God, I pray for anyone here this morning who's yet to embrace Christ as Savior that's outside of the family. May today be the day when they realize this is the greatest gift ever. And embraced by your grace through faith and repentance, Jesus is Savior. But for the rest of us, God, may we walk in a manner that just reminds us that a family name has been given to us. And that is of such great worth. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.